While listeners might be familiar with the right to an attorney that defendants are afforded in criminal matters, they may be surprised to learn that a guarantee of free legal representation doesn't extend to most other court appearances, including for New Yorkers going through a federal immigration proceeding. But that dynamic in immigration court could be changing in the future as a result of legislation introduced back in 2020 by Assemblymember Catalina Cruz, a Queens Democrat, who joins us to discuss her proposal. Welcome back to the show, Assemblymember. It's good to be back, David. If your bill became law, what are the types of situations where immigrants would have access to free legal representation? And who in particular would qualify for uh, free representation in these circumstances? Um, I want to start from the very basic about what the bill does and how we got here. Because I think in order for people to understand who it applies to, they need to understand the bigger picture of how immigration law um, actually works. Immigration law is civil in nature, but often can carry repercussions that are very similar to those that we see in a criminal matter. So certain violations uh, can lead to jail time. Um, Often, if there is no avenue for you to adjust your status, it could ultimately result in a deportation. So that means if you applied for asylum and you get denied, if you apply for a green card and you get denied, if you get stopped at the border, a lot of those can and more often than not end in someone facing removal proceedings as deportation. And so what this bill would do is take the concept of uh, universal representation, something that we see in criminal court and that it's ingrained in our constitution. And it says that if you don't have the capacity to pay for an attorney because your liberty is at play, then you're going to get an attorney assigned to you. And so we took kind of a, a different approach to resolve the same issue. We said, if you are facing an immigration proceeding that can result in a deportation, meaning the loss of of your ability to be with your family, which I arguably, you know, depending on the situation can be just as uh, damaging than, you know, jail time for a lot of families, then we are going to make sure that you never have to go in front of a judge without an attorney. And what this will do is increase the capacity, this bill would increase the capacity for legal services to be able to represent people so that no one in an immigration court within New York will ever have to face a judge um, without an attorney. You mentioned capacity. Are there enough qualified attorneys uh, who could even take on these cases if there was the funding available for this? Well, it depends on the part of your state, of the state. You know, the reality is in upstate New York, we don't have enough lawyers. Right now, you can have a lawyer who's traveling four hours to see a client and may have to travel another four hours to see another client because there are simply not enough immigration lawyers in upstate, in the Batavia, you know, there's a Batavia uh, detention center. And, and a lot of the attorneys there are juggling very long travel times to see a single client. In downstate, you have, you know, five lawyers fighting for one client, if you will. And so what we're trying to do is gradually increase the capacity of the upstate folks um, through our legal services organizations uh, so that at, at a given point in the future, we will have that capacity. We will be able to entice folks to move upstate, you know, become an immigration attorney uh, in, in that area and be able to represent those folks. So the bill itself 
what we will see when it passes, because I got to envision it. I'm very confident that, you know, that this is a need that we're going to be able to address uh, this upcoming year. When it passes, it'll take a gradual effect, if you will. So in the first year, we're asking for $50 million and gradually ramp it up until we're fully funded at approximately $300 million in about five to six years. And in terms of that funding element, what would be the hourly wage that would be paid to attorneys? Because I have to imagine you need to walk that line of making it a large enough number that it will entice attorneys to actually take these cases while also not uh, being too big to uh, you know, annoy the people who might be conservative or fiscally uh, prudent when it comes to this type of issue. Well, it's, it's going to function in the same way that we, uh, we allow other legal service contracts to function. The, um, what is paid is determined by an industry standard. What is paid is determined by a union contract because you're, you're, you're thinking of two things. One, what is the state going to pay an individual community-based organization, legal services organization per client, if you will? And a different conversation is what are those lawyers going to get paid? And, you know, we are uh, we are going to be respectful and supportive of the uh, existing because uh, most of these organizations are unionized and 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 make sure that the ones who aren't unionized are uh, getting similar rates and wages because it is I, I mean as a former legal services uh, attorney myself David I can tell you that no one goes to legal services to become rich we do it because it is the right thing to do and because people need it. I mentioned that this bill was first introduced in 2020, uh, and it's gone through some changes in the subsequent years, including uh, amendments this past September. Uh, How has the bill been amended? And are any of those changes, especially the recent ones, uh, a reflection of the influx of asylum seekers being transported here from the southern border of the country? You know, not necessarily. I think the renewed interest in the bill is as a result of of meeting more lawyers to address uh, what's happening with the asylum seekers. Um, But the majority of the changes we made were in recognition that while downstate may have more of a capacity to take on a lot of these cases because we have more lawyers, upstate is not functioning in the same way. Hence why we changed it so that it can ramp up from 50 million to approximately 300 in those five or so years. Um, But that's the majority of the changes. For listeners just joining us, you're listening to the Capitol Press Room and we're speaking with Assemblymember Catalina Cruz, a Queens Democrat. In terms of the rollout of this measure, if it were to become law, like you said, it would take some time to be completely up and running in the interim or or even in the future. If there is more demand than there are resources available, should immigrants who have lawful legal immigration status get priority when it comes to legal representation? The reality of someone facing removal proceedings is that they're both going to face the exact same consequences. And, um, you know, we want to make sure that what we're setting up is not a distinction of, it's almost like saying, should someone who is presumably guilty uh, or there are more, there's more proof to show that they're guilty, not get a lawyer versus someone that we think is innocent. Our legal system's not supposed to work that way. Our legal system is supposed to assume 
system that everybody that's in front of it has an opportunity to be heard. And with a lawyer, you know, the statistics have shown that you're 60 to 70 percent more likely to be able to obtain the relief that you're entitled to under the law. And so we would want to make sure that there are that that distinction isn't made because it's it's just it's just simply not how our legal system should ever work. We do make distinctions, though, on when a lawyer is provided, like this bill, for example, has a means testing provision for who's eligible for a lawyer. So, so why not go even further and say, if you are someone who uh, is in New York with a, a legal immigration status, that you would get first dibs on attorney as opposed to someone who might be undocumented? Why shouldn't there be a distinction? I think uh, we're having the same conversation in two different ways. It's the same thing as if you said someone who committed a crime and when they got caught, they were on camera. And so it's clear that they are probably guilty or someone who got caught committing a crime and there's only circumstantial evidence. Are we then saying that the person who is going in front of a judge, but there's a video showing that they were guilty versus a circumstantial one shouldn't get the same opportunity. Those folks right now under the constitution, if they cannot afford a lawyer, that's also a means test, they'll be given one and they'll be given one that's going to fight for their rights and show the court the evidence and defend them and make sure that they have an opportunity to be heard. We're simply transferring that same concept into immigration court to make sure that everyone who's in front of a judge gets the opportunity to make sure that their rights are protected and that they are heard. And ultimately, our goal is to make sure that everyone gets that opportunity. And so why would we make that distinction from the offset? I guess the argument for a distinction could be made based on the idea that there might not be enough resources, at least initially. And when I think about these distinctions in funding, I think about something like tuition assistance. For years, the state's tuition assistance program was not available to incarcerated New Yorkers. That was a, a policy decision that lawmakers basically said that we value investing in people who aren't in prison for higher education over people who are incarcerated. In this year's budget, we made uh, that distinction go away in large part. So we have a history of, you know, determining how we're going to invest resources. But if I feel like you're saying that there is no value in making a distinction here. First, I don't think that scarcity, you know, it, it, it's something that we should use in policymaking. You are right in that we're often forced to pit one segment of our community against another segment of our community. And that often happens in the negotiation at the very end when when we have but no other choice. I'm not going to go in and negotiate against myself now <laughs> and say that this is something we would ever contemplate. Right now, I'm fighting to make sure that every person uh, regardless of whether they came in with status, out of status, if they're facing a deportation proceeding, we want to make sure that they have a lawyer. If the time comes that we have to make a negotiation, we'll decide then. Well, if I can get you at that negotiation table that you don't want to be at yet, why is this a better investment of $300 million than, say, legal services for homeowners or beefing up our state's underfunded public defender system, which is already something that's supposed to be guaranteed and is maybe not up to the quality and caliber that it should be right now? 
Well, David, as I said before, this scarcity uh, argument of pinning one segment of our community—it's it's just you and another. me chatting. No one's listening. Well, it's it, fine. Oh no, it's you know, it's not like half of uh, political New York is listening, David. So the way that I look at it is, why should we have to make a choice about sprucing up our legal system and our legal services that are very much needed by poor? working class New Yorkers, why should we not create a program that helps uh, homeowners who are possibly losing their home have a lawyer? We should have the capacity to do all of that in our state. The reality is we have been very good at making sure that we're pinning one segment of our community against another uh, that that needs it rather than saying, you know what, we're going to raise this tax or we're going to make sure that that tax break doesn't happen or we're going to make sure that we're investing in everyone at the same time. And so for me, that's that's the question that I don't want to look at it that way. I'd love to see a universe where we are increasing the funds for all of those programs because for a very long time, we've had, you could have a person who's in a, in a removal proceeding who's also facing uh, a criminal uh, proceeding, who's also possibly losing their home all in one family. And why are we not looking at it as a, the New Yorker uh, model, the family model of how do we keep everyone in their home? How do we make sure that everyone has the same opportunities in our state to be able to thrive? And so for me, it's not that it's it's more worthwhile investing in one versus the other, it's that all of it needed. And so I'm fighting for this one in particular. Well, we've been speaking with Assemblymember Catalina Cruz. She is a Queens Democrat and author of legislation creating the Access to Representation Act. Assemblymember, thank you so much for making the time. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. You be well. We'll talk soon. your business, agency, or service interested in delivering your message to more than two dozen radio stations statewide carrying Capital Press Room? If so, visit capitalpressroom.org to contact our underwriting team.